Okay, Acts chapter 9. Last week we saw this amazing story of salvation and conversion as God saved. Who did he save? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, as Saul was on his way to persecute Christians, arrest Christians, bring them back bound to Jerusalem, God delivered Saul. God called him out of darkness and into light. He showed his light into his life. He called him by his grace. And now we're going to continue to see this unfolding story today of what happened to Saul after his conversion. Now, how many of you believe in miracles? You believe that God is a miracle-working God? I believe in miracles. I believe God still works miracles today. The the book of Acts is full of miracles. We see people who are lame receive their healing. We see blind eyes open. We even see the dead raised in the book of Acts. But today, we're going to see what I believe to be the single greatest miracle in the whole book of Acts. And I'll see if you can even see what it is. It's a little bit hidden, but we're going to uncover it today. So Acts chapter 9 and starting in verse 19, it reads, For some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the city wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. God, that through our time in your word, you would instruct each of us on the path that we should take, on the way that we should walk, on how we should live, on the decisions that we should make. Lord, I know that in a room this size, full of this many people, there are people contemplating decisions, important decisions of life. Lord, that your word would illuminate the path, that you would help us to take the next steps, steps of faith. 
Lord, help us to live as your people, faithful to you, shining as lights in this world of darkness, shining the hope and the light and the love of Jesus Christ, a love that transforms, a love that delivers, a love that sets free, a love that breaks down barriers, a love that removes bondage, and that we would be people who proclaim this love, the acceptable and perfect Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So three things I want to show to you today, just three. Say, thank God. Last week I had nine. So we've, we've, we're getting back to normal. Okay, so just three things for us today that I want to highlight from this passage. And the first is simply Saul's immediate transformation. Upon seeing Christ, upon hearing from God, upon being saved, upon being filled with God's Spirit, Saul immediately is a changed person, a new man. He, he begins to preach and to proclaim Jesus, whereas before his mission was to persecute Christians. Now he goes to proclaim Christ and to preach the Word of God. Now, last week's point, or one of last week's nine points, who remembers point seven? It's okay. There's grace. Point seven last week. Right, it's a picture. Paul's conversion is a picture of our, of our conversion, of, of all conversions. Paul, did he deserve salvation? No. Do we deserve salvation? No. Was Paul saved by grace alone? Yes, absolutely. Yes, so like Paul's conversion... From darkness unto light, from death unto life, God calling him. God has called all of us. We may not have heard his audible voice. We may have not seen a physical light, but we have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit who has drawn us to Christ. Amen? The, the, the light of the Holy Spirit has shone into our hearts, illuminating who we are. And showing us who he is, right? right? That's the testimony that we have. It's the same type of thing that happens to Saul. And just as Saul immediately is transformed into a new person, the lesson for us is that we too should see visible evidence of the fact that we are Christians. Amen? That That you should be able to, to tell who's a Christian. You should be able to tell who's a child of God. It shouldn't be some sort of secret that needs to be uncovered. It shouldn't surprise and shock people when they find out you're a Christian. Oh, oh really? Wow. Okay. Right? right? That, that shouldn't be people's response when they find out that you're a child of God. There should be evidence. There there should be something visible, something tangible. If I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ, that should manifest in some way. If I'm living in darkness, 
But now I'm walking in the light of Jesus. There should be some sort of evidence of that. Amen? Amen. If I'm living a life of unrighteousness, an enemy of God. But now in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. Something should change. Amen? Amen. And here we see this happen in Saul's life. He does a total 180. He's going this way. He's on this road. He's on this path, destroying Christians, persecuting Christians, destroying the church, an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the cross. And then upon his conversion, he heads in the exact opposite direction, exact opposite path. He does a total 180. For those of you who aren't geometry majors, that just means he, he goes the other direction. Now, now, what would we say? What would we think if after Saul had this experience, bright light from heaven, voice spoke to him, Ananias comes and prays for him, he receives the Holy Spirit, you know, all of this stuff happens. And then Saul gets up on Monday and just goes back to his old job of persecuting Christians. He just goes back to trying to destroy the church. He just goes back to the way he was living his life. What, what would we say about that? We, we would say, well, what good was all of that? Well, what did that accomplish? That, that, that wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. It didn't produce fruit. But instead, what do we see? Well, of course we see the opposite. Because why? It was real. It was genuine. It did produce fruit. And the, the point I'm trying to make in this is that many times, unfortunately, that's kind of what we see, is people who say a prayer or do some religious activity, but they go back to living their life the way they've always lived it. Yes. That there's no 180 There's no true repentance. There's no evidence of any visible change. And the sad reality is that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who says, yes, I believe in Christ, actually believes in Christ. Have you discovered that people can say things with their mouth and then do something different with their actions? Have you found that out to be true? Just to underscore this point for you in a way that you will never forget it. In the United States Congress, there are 530 members The House, the Senate combined, 530 members of the U.S. Congress, the highest elected governing body in our land, 535. Of those 535, how many of them do you think claim to be Christian? Close. This was shocking to me when I discovered this. No, not all of them. 471. That's nearly 90%. 
of U.S. Congress claims that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Now, why do you say wow to that? Right? Uh, Well, the answer is obvious why we say wow to that. I mean, the the essential Christian ethic, the the essential Christian fruit, if you boil down what it what it means to live the Christian life, you could boil it down to one word. And the Apostle Paul does. He says that word is love. Love for God, love for neighbor. Would you say the defining characteristic of the United States Congress is love? Would you say that any of the fruit of the Spirit manifests love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control? No, 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 no. no. So what is, what is going on? Well, it's apparent that some of them, a lot of them, have used the name of Christ to advance their own agenda, their own purpose, their own glory. That it's expedient in America to call yourself a Christian. It's politically convenient to just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. My family's been a Christian for four generations, and I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a non-denominational, or yeah, my grandpa this, that, or the other. Listen, none of that makes you a Christian. Yes, I go to church on Easter and Christmas. All right? That just makes you a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only, okay? Like, but... Church attendance doesn't make you a Christian. Taking communion doesn't make you a Christian. Being water baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Growing up in a Christian family doesn't make you Christian. Having a pastor for a father doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't matter that your grandma taught Sunday school. None of those things make you a Christian. It takes a work of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. And Jesus says, all who believe in me will have eternal life. It truly takes faith in your heart, not just saying it with your mouth. Now, why do I underscore this? Why do I prolong this? Because my concern is that there are some of you here today who believe you are a Christian You believe that you are right with God, and you're not. I go to church. I take communion. I grew up in a Christian family. Me and God are good. Have you truly been converted? Have you truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Have you truly called out to him in repentance of sin? Have you been broken? inside over the sin that you have committed? Have you called out to him in the only hope that you have of salvation? Have you put your faith fully, completely, totally in the one who laid his life down for me, for you and for me? Do you believe this with all of your heart, with everything that you've got? Are you truly a Christian? Don't leave here today with that question unanswered. 
Call out to Christ in faith and you will receive salvation and you will be born again. How do we know who is genuinely a Christian and who is not? Well, Jesus says you'll know a tree by its fruit, by the fruit of your life. You can tell if you're a Christian, if you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, if you truly have the Spirit of God, you can tell by looking at the fruit of your life. Amen? Now, do those things make us Christian? No, but these are things that Christians do. Christians do love God. Do you love God? Do you love God? Do you have a desire to spend time with Him, to be in His presence? If you are, that's a sign that you truly are saved. Love for God is not something that people who are not Christians have. But when we are born again, there becomes this love and this affection for God. Now, we don't love God the way that we should. None of us can say, I love God the way that I should. I don't love God perfectly. I am imperfect. But I can see in my heart that there's love for God. That there's love for God. Do you love others? Do you love people? Do you care and serve and desire to to show and shine the love of God to other people? Does it matter to you that there are people that are lost and dying and hurting and broken? Does it matter? Do you have a love for people? This is a defining characteristic of someone who's having the heart of God placed inside of them, who's being transformed by the love of God. Do you have a love for God's word? Do you have a love for God's word? Or do you recoil when God's word is read? Is God's word like nails on the chalkboard to you? If it is, you you need to examine whether or not you are truly in the faith. Because God's people love God's word. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. When God's word is read, we recognize the voice of our shepherd. Though at times it's tough love, though at times it's, you know, the the, the psalmist David talks about the shepherd and how his rod and his staff is a comfort to us, that even as the word brings correction to us, we're comforted in it because we hear the voice of our father bringing correction into our lives. But do we recoil? Do we reject the word of God? That's one of the signs that you may not truly be a Christian. Finally, another evidence is if you have desire and put forth effort to live a righteous life. Do you have any desire for righteousness? Any desire to live for God? Any desire to live a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is marked by holiness, not unrighteousness? Do you have that desire? Or do you love to live in sin and to pursue the lusts of the flesh? Examine your heart today. Don't leave here questioning where you stand with God. What does the evidence say as you examine the fruit of your life? It's not something that I can do for you but it's something that you must do for yourself. And if you look at the evidence and you say, ooh, I don't know about this, call out to God in faith for salvation, trusting in Jesus Christ. 
and you will receive forgiveness of sin and right standing before God today. Moving on, point number two. Now, I've shared this point many times through the book of Acts, and we're going to continue to see it, but I want to highlight it for you because it's here again today. And that is when the gospel advances, opposition arises. Paul immediately transformed, immediately becomes a preacher, immediately goes into the synagogues, opens the scripture, and proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And opposition arises. The people who were once his friends, the people who were once his allies, the people who he was once in league with, the people who are even his own countrymen, the Jewish people, they turn on him. And they begin to persecute him. And this is what persecution is. They're waiting by the city gates night and day to kill him. To kill him. That's persecution. Someone not telling you Merry Christmas, that's not persecution, all right? They're waiting night and day. They have people posted. They're organized. They have a schedule to kill this man. They once welcomed him in. They were really happy when he was coming from Jerusalem to Damascus with authority to arrest Christians. But once he becomes a Christian, they're no longer with him. The cross of Christ, it, it divides, it, it, it draws a line in the sand. And he goes to them in love, proclaiming the truth, proclaiming salvation, proclaiming the grace of God, and they reject him and try to kill him. And just because there's opposition in your life, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Sometimes we face opposition. Sometimes we go through hardship. Sometimes there is pushing back and we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits and evil forces and these things that happen as we try to advance the gospel. But just because there's opposition, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It could mean that you're doing everything right. You know, sometimes we think, man, things are really getting tough. Did I do something wrong? You ever feel that way? Did I sin? Is there some sort of secret thing? And I think that's good. It's good to reflect. It's good to soul search. But sometimes it's just the result of living in a fallen and broken world, and it's the opposition of the enemy. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's bad. How many of you know going to the cross wasn't easy, but it was very good? And we too are called to die to ourselves. We're called to carry our cross. That as we push forward, we can expect that there will be times of opposition. And Saul decides by the leading of the Holy Spirit that it's time for him to leave. Other times, we'll, we'll see later in the book of Acts, that there's times where the Holy Spirit tells Paul to stay. Don't leave. It's not time to retreat. That's why it's so important for us to be sensitive to the leading and the guiding of God's Spirit in our lives in all things. And so Saul leaves. And where does he go now? Where does an ex-terrorist go? Right? I mean, who's his family now? The Jews have rejected him. He's probably not too popular with the Christians that he was trying to kill and murder and track down and take to jail. Where does he go? Who are his people? Who is his family? He had done what he thought was right. 
preaching the gospel, but now he's been rejected and he's all alone. I can only imagine, it doesn't say this in the scripture, it's my reading into it a little bit, but I could see how this could be a little bit of a discouraging situation for him. People trying to kill him. He was advancing the gospel, and now he's all alone. I see in this the opportunity for him to be discouraged, for him as he's let down out of the side of the city wall at night, like the dirty laundry, you know, like sneaking away. This isn't some sort of triumphant life he's living. Where does he go? I have to only imagine by what he does. He thinks, well, I'm a Christian now. So I'll go back to Jerusalem and I'll join the church. I'll join the other Christians. Because that's, that's who I am now. And when he gets there, do they roll out the red carpet for him? Do they throw him a nice big potluck? Dinner, Saul of Tarsus, welcome to Jerusalem. No, he gets there and what does he find? He finds no one. He finds closed doors. He finds rejection. And I will say rightfully so, right? I mean, remember, he was terrorizing this city so violently that the church scattered. He was going from door to door, searching out Christians hauling away men and women, breaking up families, violent persecution that he was doing to these people. This isn't just some guy they've heard about. This is the guy that hauled their spouse away. This isn't someone they've just heard reports of. He's broken up their families. And so he comes and he tries to join the church. And they say, we're not convinced about this. Oh, you're a Christian now? Really? It seemed to them to be a trick that he could find out where they were and get them all arrested as that was his original mission. But, but... There was a man named Barnabas. Actually, that wasn't his name. His name was Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname. A nickname that the apostles gave him. The name means son of encouragement. Barnabas the encourager. He looks past all of Paul's shortcomings. He, he doesn't just see Paul's past, but he sees who Paul could be with Christ. And he hears the testimony of Paul and he goes and he says, I will vouch for him. I vouch for this man. He's had a true conversion. And this is our third point today. It's simply the power of encouragement. The power of encouragement. The power of someone who can look beyond other people's past, can look beyond other people's brokenness, and can look into the future and see this is who this person could be in Christ Jesus. That's the power of encouragement. And this, under the ministry of Barnabas, is one of the greatest miracles in all of Acts. 
Because after Barnabas brings them to the apostles and the apostles sit down, say, okay, Barnabas, we trust you. We'll sit down. We'll hear Saul's testimony. They hear Saul's testimony. And what do they do? They extend to him fellowship. They welcome him into their church as a member of themselves. This means when they take communion together, Paul is there with the people that he was persecuting. It means, do you remember that it was Saul that oversaw the murder of Stephen? Right? One of those up-and-coming young leaders in the church. Saul having drug off husbands and wives and committed them to prison. Now, when they come down the communion aisle, they're hand in hand, they're lockstep together. What? Have you ever heard of something so radical? So, so, I mean, it, it's almost hard to even imagine that they could forgive this man for what he had done. But because Christ has forgiven him, they say, we forgive you. We love you. That was who you were, but that's not who you are now. Welcome home, Saul. This is the power of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel that takes enemies and turns them into families. This is the Spirit of God working in the hearts of this community. How, how else can you explain them forgiving this man? How else can you explain them loving him, serving him communion? That when they hear that his life is being threatened again, it says the brothers went to him and warned him and took him away so that he could be safe again. There's no sense of wanting revenge. There's no sense of wanting to hold him accountable for his past sins. They say, no, brother, your sins have been forgiven. Welcome to our family. This is what the church, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. This is a true picture of what a church should be. This is a true Accurate picture of a group of people that have been brought together from every different walk of life, from different cultures, from different languages, but they're united by the love of Christ. They're united by their sins being forgiven, and they're filled with the Spirit of God that He is working so powerfully in their midst that they say, I forgive you. How else can you explain this happening? It's a true miracle. It's the evidence that the risen Christ is seated on the throne and is working in the life of his church. And this is what every church should be. This is the picture of the church. A place where the hurting, where the broken, where the ashamed can come in and find healing and wholeness 
and genuine love and affection and the forgiveness of sins and not come into a place where we're judging their past, but we're able to look past their past to see the future that God has for them, the destiny that God has for them. And from this moment, the Apostle Paul, he will, or Saul of Tarsus will be transformed into the Apostle Paul, and he will spend the rest of his life going from city to city, planting the seeds of little communities just like this. Little communities where the lost can come in and, and have their sins forgiven, where the love of Christ can be expressed. He dedicates his life to seeing the church move forward and churches started and churches planted. Why? I think it's because of what he saw in these people right here. He saw and experienced the true love of Christ manifest through the body of Christ. A love that transforms, a love that sets free. But so oftentimes in churches, are we known for our... <laughs> are we known by that? Are we known as a place where people can walk in and they're not judged? Are we known as a place that loves people, welcomes people? What, what, what kind of church are we, Destiny Church? I, I pray to God that we're not the kind of church that closes the doors to people because of their past. Listen, we all have a past. We're, we're all saved by grace. We all deserve wrath. If we've truly had our hearts transformed, we open our arms to those that need transformation. We open our arms to those that are broken. We open our arms to those that need healing and wholeness. And it's in our arms, it's in our embrace that the love of Christ does the work. Three quick points and then we'll, we'll move on. I know it's three points within a sub-point, so technically it's six points today, but oh well. I believe God's calling us to elevate our ministry of encouragement, all of us. And three things that we see that encouragers do. Number one, they see the potential. They see the potential. They don't just see what's there now. They're able to look beyond what's there and to say, who could this person be in Christ? It's the eyes of faith. Listen, aren't you glad nobody stopped you from coming to Christ and said, you know what? I don't think there's any hope for you. You're just a real jacked up mess. No. So, so let's, let's not then stop people from moving into the destiny that God has for them. To continue to, to see who people could be. The second thing that encouragers do is they call out the potential. They don't just see it and say, hmm, wow, that's interesting. I could see how that person could be used by God in this way. No, they speak it out. They call it out. They go to them and they say, I see this in you. I see this in you. I see this in you. You could be, you, God could use you in this way. I see you have this gift and this talent and, and your personality is such that you could be used by God in, in this way. 
And what I've found in, in my life is that many times people see things in me that I have never seen in myself at all. And it's in them calling it out that those things begin to come to the forefront. And it gives people the courage to step out into the destiny that God has for them. That's what encouragement is. It's putting courage into people, encouraging them. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, I don't really see that, but you see it, so I, I guess I'll give it a try. I'll step out in, in faith. So they see the potential. They, they call it out. And thirdly, the third thing that encouragers do is they make room for other people's gifts. They're not just, they're not just protecting their turf. Well, this is my ministry, and by God, I've been doing it for 40 years, and by God, I'm going to do it till, I'm, till the day I die. Faithfulness is good. I'm not saying that faithfulness is not good, but what I am saying is that sometimes we need to make room for other people's gifts to grow and to flourish. And sometimes that involves us taking a step back so that we can launch other people forward. Saul needed this ministry of encouragement in his life. There are those in our community that need to be encouraged. There are those within this church that need to be encouraged. We all need someone who's in our corner, who's on our side, that says, I see what God can do in your life. I believe in you. I believe in what God is doing. Whose voice is that? That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Think of the opposite voice. No, you can't. You'll never be this. You'll never be that. God could never use you because of your past. Well, what voice is that? But there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so let us, as people who are filled with the Spirit, give voice to the Spirit as we seek to encourage and to call out the gifts that God has in his people. Amen? So I believe God's calling all of us to be encouragers, to, to, to when we see potential, call out potential, and to launch people, to make room for other people to, to move forward and to grow in their ministry. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. Lord, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, in this world in which you've called us to live, there are many who are discouraged. There are many who are following their own path. They're on the wrong path. Lord, let us be people that see with the eyes of faith, that see the passion, the drive, the desire, that we can see how you could use that for your glory. Let us see the potential and, and encourage others along their walk and their path with you. Lord, help us all to examine our hearts and to look and to see if we truly are in the faith. Lord, as we see in Saul's life, this immediate transformation, 
Lord, we see that we should see evidence in our life of a changed life. Lord, for those who might be here today and, and who are wondering where they stand with you, Holy Spirit, right now, convict their hearts. Shine the light of Jesus. Awaken faith through the preaching of your word and that they would call out to you for salvation. Lord, help us all to be lights this week as you've called us to go out into this dark world to shine for you the light, the love, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.